Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. But the point remains, Dave has one of the largest platforms of any financial voice in the modern world. And so when he says something, millions of people are listening. And so I think it's, you know, those of us who know better, it is incumbent on us to say, hey, wait a second, that is that is terrible advice. And you really should not follow that. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Let me put myself in your shoes. No matter how old you are, you're probably saving for retirement. You're trying to figure out how much do you need to save and what retirement accounts are best. Do you go 401k or Roth IRA? And the biggest question, how much money can you take out each year for retirement? And you're hoping, fingers crossed, you're saving enough. Then the biggest voice in money, Dave Ramsey, comes along and says, it's simple. 
If you earn 12% each year in your investments, you can safely take out 8% for retirement each year and leave 4% in your account for inflation. Simple, according to his, yes, I'm using air quotes, math. But it's not that simple. And it is mathematically wrong, damaging advice if you ask me why. Because of pure facts, the stock market's average 30-year return is 9.9% and just 7.3% adjusted for inflation, far less than the 12% return that he spouts. If you want proof, I have got links in the show notes to back this up. His latest rant is in response to a caller who called in and wanted to know how much he could take out for retirement each year. That is the reason we're doing this episode. So I called in my two money expert friends, Paula Pant from Afford Anything and Joe Salcihai from Stacking Benjamins to talk through why this advice is wrong, what moral obligation money experts have to their listeners to get things right, and what do you need to know to figure out how much money you should be saving and what a good retirement withdrawal rate really is. It's a juicy one, but it's an important episode. So let's start talking. Oh, Paula and Joe, we have a lot to talk about today. Let's just kind of paint the picture to start here. On a recent uh, Dave Ramsey episode, he was talking about a 30-year-old caller who had called in who said he was on baby steps four, five, and six. If you follow Dave Ramsey, you probably know what those are. He had about $120,000 saved for retirement. He was looking to figure out how much money he could take out of retirement. And he said, you know, I feel like the experts talk somewhere around like 4%, like a 4% withdrawal rate. And Dave immediately went into talking about how stupid that was. This was the this the worst advice ever. And, you know, the advice and kind of the ridicule that followed, that's what we're here to to talk about today and to talk about why why this might not work, right? Let's let's kind of blow this up a little bit. So, Paula, I want to start off with this quote. Dave said, "You don't need to live on 4% of your money for your nest egg to survive." What's wrong with that? Break this down for us. <laughs> okay. So a couple of things. So first of all, when Dave was uh, speaking, you know, it, it's one thing if you if a person were to say, "Look, I've I've taken a look at the study. I've looked at the Trinity study. I've read um, Bill Bengen's original article in the Journal of Financial Planning, and I have some some I take umbrage with the way that the mathematical modeling worked." You know. Um, for example, I noticed that Bill Bengen used a predictive model rather than a blah, blah. You know, like it's one thing to have an actual research-based, evidence-based disagreement. That's perfectly acceptable. What Dave did was not that. What Dave did was he said that a bunch of nerds who are living, super nerds, I think was his word. Super nerds. Who are living yes. in their parents' basement. um, which is not bad, <laughs> which is a good place to be. Uh, are just sitting around being losers and advocating for 4%. And he completely dismissed the research, not for any evidence-based reasons, not for any mathematical modeling reasons, not for any reasons that have had any type of substance other than simply an ad hominem attack against uh, the super nerds who came up with it. Right. And so he said that you could withdraw 8% per year because if your investments go up 12%, and he said, oh, just buy a mutual fund that goes up 12%, leave 4% 4, leave four in for inflation, and then draw withdraw the other 8%. Isn't it funny how he never tells us uh, the ticker symbol of the mutual fund that goes up 12% consistently every year? I'm waiting for that ticker symbol. You and I both, right? It would be really easy, yeah, right? Because if there is something that goes up 12% every single year, year over year, then it it actually is easy math. But it's not easy math, right, Joe? No, but, but you know what? I mean, so that piece of Dave, the 12% piece, if we just isolate that, I think that from Dave's perspective is just smart marketing because it, it, it keeps him in the limelight. People talk about Dave Ramsey quoting 12% all the time. And you know what? I'm, I am 99% sure that Dave knows you can't get 12%. I'm 99% sure he knows that. I also know that every time he says it, the world goes crazy and people bring him up again. You know, so that part is that part to me was okay. That's marketing. That's fine. The part that wasn't okay to me, Shauna, was when he then you know, the guy says, well, I just want to do the math. He's like, I'm giving you the math 12. 
minus minus four equals eight. <laughs> Duh. And that is some, excuse my language. That's some junk ass math. Like that is just, that is just all junk math. And we take this thing that was a marketing ploy to me. I think it's a Dave Ramsey marketing ploy. And we turn it into something that goes from, you know, eye roll to now dangerous because if anybody tries to withdraw 8% from their portfolio every year, you will run out of money. That's the math is you will run out of money if you try to do that for a long period of time. So are we are we just here, the three of us, playing into the the evilness then of, of Dave Ramsey? Are we playing into this marketing machine? Like are we are we building him up further because we're here kind of talking about this? <laughs> or are we doing you know the 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 socially responsible thing of 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 talking about you know hey this person has this huge platform they have millions of people listening every every day to this show and this this advice is is dangerous it's yeah. harmful you know uh, Carl Richards from the New York Times he he tweeted shortly afterwards without using Dave's name he said um, he said something to the effect of when a when a fool says something foolish you know, it's best to just not respond, right? Don't draw attention to it. That is true if the fool does not have an audience. And if he doesn't have a platform, then you can just, you know, ignore it. If if a sixth grader says something dumb, ignore it and it'll go away. When someone who is the most, uh, arguably the, the largest um, the the person in the financial sphere with the largest platform, the most respected. I, according to Dave's website, his uh, show gets 18 million listeners per week. Now, that's according to his website, his own data that is not independently third party verified. But and a lot of that, by the way, is radio metrics, which Paula and I are distributed by the same company. And and Paula, you and I sit in these meetings where they're like, you got 3.5 million impressions last week. Yeah. I'm like, no, we didn't. <laughs> Sounds nice, right? <laughs> yes. But it's, but you know, a lot of that though, Paula, to your point is passive listeners, right? right? On, the, on the radio, it's passive. You, you turn on your car and Dave happens to be on the radio. That counts right. versus a podcast, which is a whole different story. Exactly. Exactly. But the, the point remains, Dave has one of the largest platforms of any financial voice in the modern world. And so when he says something, millions of people are listening. And so I think it's, you know, those of us who know better, it is incumbent on us to say, hey, wait a second, that is that is terrible advice and you really should not follow that. Sean, about 18 months ago, I spoke with uh, Nicole Lappin, who's, an, you know, another, I think, respected person in this space. She had ripped the hell out of Dave Ramsey on one of her episodes. So I brought her on Stacking Benjamins to say, should we be nitpicking, right? The same question you're asking us, should we be nitpicking? And uh, two things happen, but uh, but there's the big one I want to focus on is this. What we came to is when I was a financial planner and I had clients, I had compliance looking over my head. I had, which, you know, people groan about compliance and there's so many smart people that say nothing because there's these lawyers that, that, that really strangle you before you say something wrong. So you end up saying absolutely nothing. And that void gets filled in with idiots a lot mm. of the time. But uh, in this area, nobody has compliance. Right. None of us have compliance when it comes to these, unless you're a financial planner, you don't. I don't have right. compliance. Paula doesn't exactly. have compliance. So, so because we don't, what we came to was it is up to us to be each other's compliance. If we think something is dangerous, we have to call it out. That is our, that is our function mm -hmm. in the system. You know, it's almost like the, you know, the media versus government, right? Government does something, media points the finger and goes, why did you do that? And people get annoyed with both of them. And yet they have a function. I believe our function is to some degree to call each other out and say, I think you should right, listen to that. Right, right. To be the watchdog. And don't you think it also that it's it's really dangerous when like the news outlets, you know, they pick up topics like this, right? They, they pick up, you know, I saw Dave was obviously trending on Twitter after kind of this, you know, episode came out and people were talking about it. And then all people hear are are the headlines and they don't actually hear any of the meat or they don't actually hear, okay, what's the the counter argument to whatever he's saying because he he just he has this platform. 
there only was one piece of that on the, and I don't know about the two of you, but there was one piece of Dave's rant that where I agreed with him and, and it, it, parents basement. And it was, <laughs> yes, yes. People, too many people in parents' basement or not enough people in parents. I, I don't know. Something about living in your mom's basement is cool. Probably. Uh, no, it was the, the, the gist of what Dave was saying at one point was, listen, there are going to be people out there that scare you into never spending your money. Your money is there to be spent. Spend it. I can fully get behind that spending it at the degree that he said dangerous, but I know there's a lot of people out there who are afraid of doing anything. They're afraid of the market. They don't know how it works. They don't understand. Um, they don't understand most of what they're invested in. And because of that, they think I can't take any of my money out. And the people that prey on those people are, are really like uh, annuity people. As an example, people selling annuities prey on people going, oh, you, you know, uh, yeah, that stock market's kind of dangerous and taking too much money out. But here's the deal. If you buy this thing, it's guaranteed to last your whole life and it's going to be a-okay. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it might, right? I mean, annuities of themselves are not evil, but the way they're sold in this predatory way. Now, Dave didn't come out and say that, what I just said. But when he started talking about you have your money and your money's meant to be spent, I went, okay, I can get on board with 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 that piece of of this uh, of this rant, but throwing your own employee under the bus in front of millions of people, bad form, boss mm-hmm. man. Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit because we know that Dave primarily attacks uh, the listeners, the people that are that are calling in, that are asking for the money advice. Those are the people that he primarily goes on the attack against and makes them feel, you know, stupid, ridiculous whatever, that they don't know what they're doing, fill in whatever word you want to there. But in but in this, he was actually going against somebody who actually worked for him. And he was also going against financial professionals, coming back to the the basement, uh, the basement quote that he used, that they're all super nerds just sitting in their mother's basement with calculators. He's going after them and saying that, you know, the advice that you're getting from people who've spent years, I think Paula, you know, you were talking about this earlier on, the, the advice you're getting from people who spent years doing this and, and and figuring out these calculations, they are all wrong. Like this is just this is very simple. This is a simple equation. I think he he even called them hope stealers. Mm-hmm. That people out there that were doing the math were were stealing a hope from the people here who are trying to, you know, live their lives and trying to retire and and um, do the things that that, that they want to do. And so, you know, I'm thinking as a, as a listener, you know, someone listening to the show right now, like, how are we supposed to differentiate specifically when it comes to something like retirement advice, which is really gray, right? There's a lot of gray nuanced area. No one has any idea what the market's going to do in the future. No one has any idea exactly how much money you're going to have. So how do we navigate the the gray area between loud voices like that and and people who are crunching numbers. Mm. I, I think listening to, reading the research and listening to academics, listening to professors, um, there historically has not been an academic field for retirement planning. That has recently started. It is very, it's nascent. You know, historically, there's been an academic field of, of finance and there's been financial planning, but uh, retirement planning as a as an academic study only started recently. Dr. Wade Pfau is a, uh, you know, one of the leading researchers there. But I think listening to people like him, um, listening, I mentioned Bill Bengen earlier, you know, he, like, listening to the people who are publishing journal articles, which are peer-reviewed, um, and, and reading those articles directly, or if you're not going to do it directly, paying attention to the voices that cite those direct studies, that cite the primary sources, right? I think that is a, a better way of getting information than listening to someone who is merely good at media. Because being good at media is a skill set and understanding retirement and finance is a different skill set and uh you know uh, there's there are only a very small number of people who have that Venn diagram intersection between the two skill sets well i think that uh i think paul is right on i think that um when it comes to him talking about nerds in mom's basement the first thing i do is a google search about what the color called about the 4% rule. And you'll find out who these nerds are. The people that Paula quoted, 
other academics, some of the finest academics. And on top of that, the people quoting them, all the responsible money management firms right. on earth, right? I mean, Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, just a, a, a ton of the, uh, of the top firms. Now, I generally, if I start with a money management firm, I'm like, oh, what's in it for them? But if I've got the academics saying it and the responsible money management firm saying it, the CFP community saying it, then I'm like, who's really the nerd here that 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 that, that wants you to just cover your ears and uh, pretend like you're not hearing any of this this stuff? The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm 
for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting and I think that, you know, the thing about Dave that always really gets me, I mean, let alone just um how he really tears down, you know, people who are just they're they're searching, they're trying these 18 million people whoever they are are, you know, trying to find out answers to their money questions. And, you know, I don't like his approach, his approach is not my approach. I don't believe in making people feel stupid and tearing them down, which is not how I do things. Um and did you, you get know, the feeling, Shauna, by the way, on that note, did you get the feeling that 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 Rachel Cruz's daughter, for oh, people listening that, that didn't see point. it, yes. feels exactly the same way you do? A thousand I could, percent. I felt like Shauna the whole time she was not on board with with it. You just saw for real I haven't seen the video. If you've been seeing the look on Rachel Cruz's face, his daughter's face the entire mm-hmm. time, it's she cringe. was she was not on board with the way her dad was yeah. handling that. Well, and she was trying to get a word in edgewise, you know, which let's just talk about that from a female perspective, right? <laughs> uh, she was trying to get a word in edgewise um, with him and, and and try to offer, well, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's not, you know, 8%, like, could it be 5% or 6%? <laughs> right. He was just like, no, no, you know? And I think it's just it, it. It oh, I mean, there there's so much there that just like really angers me. <laughs> um, from you know, I don't want to encourage everyone to go over listening, but there there's definitely some some cringe moments there. Um, and and I just think you know it's it's got to be just so confusing for people who are just trying to find answers to their money questions. And you know, retirement is this. Um, gosh, this deep longing for people, right? It's this time where they're not working and it's a time where they can, uh, you know, travel and be with their family and whatever it might be. And, you know, we we know that the financial system operates on a very scarcity model and is always telling people you're not going to have enough. You're not enough. It's It's never enough. And, you know, that further cements kind of the fear that people have about money. But it's, um, I don't know exactly the point I'm making here, except it just feels just so irresponsible um, to just blanket statements like this and have people go off believing that they're never going to run out of money and then thinking what's going to happen, you know, a few years down the line or if the market tanks or whatever it might be that, um, you know, that's not the position they're going to be in. And then what do they do then? Right. Right. You know, the, for, for the people listening who haven't seen it, the, what we were saying earlier about him going after one of his employees, for for those who haven't seen it, that's a reference to the caller saying, hey, one of your employees, this guy named George, uh, George wrote an article saying, you know, think about a 3% withdrawal rate. Uh, and Dave kind of lost it, right? And was like, that garbage shouldn't be coming out of here. You know, I'll I'll have to take a look at that. I really... I hope that you miss... I hope that you misinterpreted that. I hope that kind of garbage is not coming out of the Dave Ramsey headquarters. Um, so it's clear, you, you know, and I, fine, it's his business. You know, he, I understand it's his business and he wants to make sure that anyone representing his business is mirroring his talking points because that's part of pr- him protecting his brand, right? So I get that, right? If if you've got a brand, whatever that brand is, it's a, a fashion brand, a soft drink brand. You know, if you have any kind of brand, you're going to want to make sure that all of your reps uh, reflect your branding, your talking points, your messaging. Um, that makes sense to me. But where I think it falls apart is when you care about your own brand at the expense of what's best for your audience, right? If it's a fashion brand, it it does ultimately it doesn't matter. Your brand might be like you know, silk is the best fabric ever. And that's your, your primary talking point. And if that's your fashion brand, that's great. But at the end of the day, no one's retirement is going to be, or their life, no one's life is going to fundamentally be altered because they wore too much silk or too little silk, right? If you have a soft drink brand and you're promoting, I don't know, strawberry flavored carbonated sugar water, um, uh, most you know most people who drink that in moderation it's not going to drastically change their life one way or the other oh, thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> you're going to throw in the towel right Joe <laughs> I, I, was, I was like are you looking at me i think you're looking at me 
Ra- oh, this one's raspberry lemonade. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, I where it where it really breaks down is when you're conflating having a brand, um, not not conflating, but when your brand is giving financial misinformation, and if you know, but- if we believe that Dave is fully aware that that what he's saying is wrong. But, 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 but so that's that is what my next question was mm-hmm. though Paula was uh for, I you know for all of us what does he win by saying this like the 12% thing I can see where he wins he tells a little lie right and the way the algorithms work you say something like that it blows up on social media then the algorithm shows it to everybody cuz everybody's fighting about it and so next thing you know I mean Man, my my Dave Ramsey post was huge. Paul, I saw yours. Yours was monster compared to ours. Show off, (laughs) but but we but we uh, 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 you know, and I had posts that I thought were actually way more important than that, which you know the algorithm showed nobody because nobody commented on it right away. But were far more important to our Mm -hmm. community, and um, and that drives me crazy. So I get the twelve percent and how he wins that way by saying these things. But where does he win here? I, I I do not see the win here because either either he believes it, which means he's really dumb, or or he's he's Paula to your point, he's for some reason, for some reason lying to his audience, which is horrible because you owe nobody anything but your audience. Like the whole reason that the three of us are here is because how wonderful our audience is and how much we've got this bond with them and, and to, to, to go against that bond. So you almost got to go with number one that he's just, he's just dumb about it. Does he care? I mean, does he care? Like, is he so into just, you know, dominating the money space and being the voice that, that people tune into? Like, do you think he feels that? It's like it's narcissism. Yeah. Like, do you think he actually feels a moral responsibility to tell people the, you know, cause the story that we're talking about of how you actually figure out how much money you can take out of from retirement and the, in the academic studies, it's not as sexy as his, you know, I believe he said, if you have a million dollars saved, that should create $80,000 of income forever every year. Like it's not as sexy as a story as that is. Like is, is there, that his motive? I don't know. There is part of me that thinks that if Dave Ramsey had morals, he would have thought differently about running a for-profit company through churches. I mean, yes. let's be let's th- 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 that's the one that gets me all the time. Is really you've got this company putting tons of money in your pocket run through churches? Like there is it that there's no conflict there? There's nothing I don't know. That, I think there's a lot of people that that don't know about that side, Joe. I think there's a lot of people that don't know that he he primarily got you know start in in these programs in in the church world, and that's I think a large part of his audience. You know, not necessarily anything wrong with that, but that's really where um, you know that's really where he he got his mark. I, I used to be involved in a church many years ago in um, Orange County, California, and. Uh, they wanted me to do a money program for people. And I was like, well, only if I can do the way I want to talk about money, which, you know, is is a completely different way than probably you would want me to talk about money. <laughs> and in the end, of course, they ended up just, um, you know, using Dave Ramsey's program, which, you know, fine. Yeah. yeah, that's your choice. You can go with it. But I think a lot of people don't don't know that mm-hmm. side. I mean, I, I, I can't comment on the on the church element of it, because I don't know enough about the economics of churches and the and I don't know enough about the structure of how any type of third party interfaces with a church. Like I, I just I don't know enough about that world to be able to comment on that. Um but to your earlier question, which is is he is he dumb enough to believe the words that are coming out of his own mouth, or is he aware of what's actually going on and lying. Both are equally difficult to imagine, right? They are. I, they totally it's really are. challenging for me to imagine that someone who has grown such a major and successful business, uh, you know, who's bootstrapped it, right? No, to the best of my knowledge, no outside funding, no, obviously no debt, right? He has bootstrapped all of that. And he's built a gigantic company with hundreds of employees with a huge uh, office footprint in, in, in Tennessee. Um, it's, I mean, you, 
what he has accomplished is incredibly impressive. And that makes me assume that he must be of, at a minimum, average intelligence, if not substantially above average intelligence. So it doesn't square that he could possibly, I mean, a 10-year-old could poke holes in his logic when it comes to the 8% rule, the 8% withdrawal rule. Crap, people in mom's basement could poke holes in his logic. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom's neighbor's cousin, cousin's neighbor. (laughs) Who is he? (laughs) Doug. Doug. Mom's neighbor, Doug. (laughs) Is your mom's cousin's neighbor or mom's neighbor's cousin? Mom's neighbor. Is your mom's neighbor? There's no cousin? Mom's mom's cousin's Diana. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I got to get you the family tree, Paula. Yeah, we need the whole breakdown. Yes, that's right. Of who's who. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. So, okay, so regardless of what his motives are, we we bo- we all agree here that, um, you know, we can poke holes in this all day long. So, you know, to everyone listening, how do they do this? How do they figure out retirement? How do they know how much money they can take out of their retirement? Like, is this something they should be worried about if they're in their 30s, 40s and saving? What do you, what do you think? Well, so Bill Bengen, who's uh, the author of the original study that created the 4% rule, according to his research, um, a person who has a 30-year-long retirement, right? You retire at age 65, you, you pass away at age 95, or retire at 70, pass away at 100, whatever. If, you have, if you're assuming a 30-year retirement and your portfolio is split 50-50 between equities and bonds in a tax-deferred account, you can draw down 4.2% in the first year and 4.2% adjusted for inflation every subsequent year. And you have a sig- better, a, a wonderful probability of not outliving your money. Mm-hmm. I like the, I like a guy named Paul Merriman's approach to this, which is he starts with that four point two that Paula talks about, and but every year it the amount he takes out of his portfolio depends on his results. So if he has a significantly worse year, he's going to lower the percentage. And in Paul Merriman's wonderful words, he's like, "That's when I explore, you know, staycations. That's when I figure out what's going on in my backyard." And then in years when my portfolio does really well during his semi-retirement, he's like, "That's when we." pack up and we go see the world. So, so he gets this wonderful, uh, change of scenery and change of livelihood 
based on based on a year by year analysis. And I think that's really what it takes because to answer your question, Shauna, directly, if, if you're 30 years old, 35 years old, and you're not interested in the fire movement stuff, you're interested in a traditional retirement. No, I don't think you need to be thinking about this at all. I think what you need to be thinking about is setting yourself up with some tax flexibility. Everybody is into tax optimization. I think that later on, often you regret having optimized stuff because having some things that are tax-free pre-tax uh, and is going to be taxed later helped, helped you when you put it in like a 401k. A Roth IRA is going to grow and be tax-free, and that will help you manipulate tax brackets down the road. Gives you some great, um, great tax advantages later. And then having some money you can spend whenever the heck you want to, that has maybe a little bit of friction, right? An exchange-traded fund isn't going to throw off a lot of taxes every year. Uh, having all three of those, I think, is a much better solution than optimization. I think thinking about that when you're in your 30s as you're kind of setting it up is a way better thing to worry about than the four percent rule. And walk us through the the logic behind this because this this may seem simplistic, but I think that um, we don't tend to think about this. So let's say we have you know I don't know let's say I have a hundred thousand dollars in my retirement account, right? But and the market goes up eight percent, great. But then let's say you know next year it drops you know twenty percent, right? We're we're no longer like our our hundred thousand is growing and then it's declining and it's growing and it's declining. And I think that you know when we we're talking about Dave's logic of like a million dollars, you know, portfolio always grows at 12% and that money is stacking upon stacking upon stacking and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. We know that's not the case. So explain a little bit about like what happens to your, your, your portfolio amount when there's a down year. And then let's say the next year it's up another 20%. It, well, first of all, the, the, um, if it's, if the, uh, even if 12% were a thing, <laughs> Right. If we click our heels together, say there's no such, there's no place like 12%, and it comes true, it isn't going to be true in retirement because to make sure that you've got money to pull from reliably, you really need that to come from more of a cash cushion. So you're not on this roller coaster with the money you're pulling out. That's going to be the first thing. And that's going to drag down that 12 to a number that is, is much more reasonable. Which, by the way, if you're doing a more conservative approach of even, eight or nine percent, um, you're going to want to look at less than that because of that cash cushion you need just to make sure that you're not taking money out of active financial markets. You're either ruining your returns if it's going up or you're selling off stuff when it's going down that you want to hold on to. So uh, f- for me, that's the that's the first thing. If you're the most difficult years of your retirement are the first few years just to make sure that you get this solid footing. So they talk about this incredibly, talk about incredibly geeky stuff in nerds in mom's basement, uh, sequence of returns risk, which is much higher when you start in retirement than, than subsequent years. So if you could get two or three down years right out of the gate, the thing I think people don't realize uh, is that Shauna, if you get a, let's say you got a hundred thousand dollars, just keep this easy and you lose 10%, now you're at 90,000, you need way higher than 10% on 90 only brings you back to 99. It doesn't bring you to 100. So you have to have a higher rate of return percentage-wise to get it back. It's not 10 down and then 10 back. So so I think that, um, that if your portfolio goes down three, four, five years in a row. I think that the portfolio percentage is far less important than how big that mound of money is. You know, how much money is going to work for you every day? Um, and is that a sustainable money to last into your nineties? How do we, how do we figure that out, Paula? Like, how do we figure out how much, how much is, is our goal? Like, what are we, well, I know you called on Paula, but you start with 12%. <laughs> you minus four and it's we eight. Are, that's we are that's the math, Shauna. Right. What am I thinking? Duh. Oh <laughs> well, so what, uh, I mean, you know, you can, you can use, there are a lot of calculators online and there are a lot of tools and software and spreadsheets and programs that will allow you to model it out. But ultimately, eventually what you're going to have to do after you have modeled to the best of your ability, is uh, there's a quote from J.L. Collins, flexibility is the only true security. So once you're actually in retirement, then it's up to you to 
reassess your position every single year, and much like Paul Merriman does, make decisions dynamically each year, year after year, based on current conditions. Because there will or there could be black swan events, right? And sometimes, you know, sometimes you retire in January 2007, right? And then and then the Sounds next like two years were absolutely nothing like what you imagined your first year of retirement being. Sometimes you retire January 1st, 2020, and uh, you're in for a bit of a shock, right? Like those things happen. And so the importance of being nimble, the importance of dynamically reassessing, um, you know, on on at least an annual basis, I think that's the the key to having a secure retirement. Shauna, you and Paula both know me well enough to know I don't even like starting from this standpoint. I truly don't. I like starting with how much money do I want to spend and will that work? And then the answer is going to be yes or no based on the calculators that Paula talked about. So instead of starting with a 4% rule or 3%, what do I want to do? And is that am I capable of doing that? Now, let's say that I am the 30-year-old listener and I'm like, how the hell do I know what I want to do when I'm 60? Maybe you don't. So let's say I want to spend money like I'm spending money today. Use Dave's maybe non-junk number, 4% as inflation, if you want to be conservative about that number. Use that number, figure out how much that means when you're 60 years old, 65, pick a date, whatever it is, and then see if you live till your mid-90s, if how much money it's going to take to live the same lifestyle you live today. And that's kind of a starting point. And then go, well, what if I spent 50% more? What do I have to do to do that? I like starting from there versus starting from some arbitrary, I'm going to take out X amount of money. Because you'll see one of two things happen. Well, either number one, people people spend less money than they should because of the fact that they are so afraid. Or number two is is, is they, uh, um, uh, they spend money foolishly that they didn't need to spend that could have been their legacy, you know, that, that, so, so I I think if you start from what you want to do and see if it's possible, that's the key to all this. I like that. I like that from that aspirational point of view too. Um, and, and I think that helps kind of strip away a little bit of the, of the numbers fatigue too, is, is thinking about your life, you know, in that way. Um, all right, I, I want to end here. Uh, obviously, there there are a lot of voices needed in in the money world. We're three voices here who have a platform. We have a lot of similarities in how we how we talk to our our listeners and 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 what we talk about. Obviously, Dave has a very big platform and a very big voice. So I, I'm curious for the listener, what sort of questions do you think you need to ask of yourself when you're hearing advice from anybody to filter it through, you know, like the BS filter and to figure out whether it, whether it works for you, whether it works for your life and what's the advice that's not going to work. And that I just need to throw away. What do you, what do you guys think? I would say, listen to a wide range of voices because you will start to hear a variety of philosophies, strategies, frameworks, mental models, heuristics. Like you'll start to, to really get a sense of how wide and nuanced and varied the landscape is. And once you've taken in enough viewpoints, then you should be able to to come up with your own. I'd say, you know, the analogy that I'd use is somebody who's brand new to learning about um, food and nutrition, right? What What is a quote unquote healthy meal? When you start listening to the voices out there, you encounter paleo, vegan, carnivore. Uh, there's one called the lion diet, uh, where you only eat lions, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's hard. That's hardcore. I know, right? Uh, you only eat ruminant meat, and so you you hear about all of these. You know, you hear about keto. You hear about glu- gluten free. Um, and over time, you, you take in the arguments, both for and against. You know, you take in the rationales, and eventually, you come to your own conclusion. And maybe you test a few things for a little while. Um, but you eventually, after taking it all in, come to your own conclusion. I think something like that is a far more informed way of doing something than, you know, going with the whole 30 diet because it happens to be the first one that you heard of. 
I'm I'm going to agree, but put a different point than Paula did, which is all three of us have interviewed lots and lots and lots of people. And so when Paula talked about listening to different voices and hearing what they have to say, you'll find, you know, every person that I interview, and we all interview very smart people, but they'll have these things that are kind of their deal. They, you know, this is their quirky thing. And sometimes those resonate with me. Sometimes they don't. But when you interview 25 people, there are some themes that over and over and over again, you hear where, you know, the second year Dave Ramsey say 12%, you go, nobody else. That's not in the Milky way, right? Of all of these stars <laughs> saying this stuff. And so you get a better idea of, of what is safe advice and what isn't safe advice after you listen to 10, 15 people. And then you learn what's their quirky thing, you know? Well, I mean, this has been, I love this conversation. This has been great. I love, I love kind of rolling up our sleeves here and digging in. Uh, tell me both, uh, Paula, Afford Anything, Joe, Stacking Benjamins, what do you guys uh, have coming up? Ooh, Afford Anything. We are, uh, we just crossed 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. So oh, come find yes. us on YouTube, youtube.com slash afford anything and firing up our newsletter once again. So um, that's, that's getting re-rolling. Uh, so if you go to affordanything.com, sign up for the newsletter, and uh, we're going to be publishing at least weekly. And just to beat Paula, we do ours, Ooh. the 201, twice a week, <laughs> just so you know, because we heard Paula was going to do it. Well, no, I'm kidding. We do do it twice a week, but it has nothing to do with that. Um, on on our show coming up this week, we're all about Black Friday, and so many people will take a great year and wreck it in this single year. So we've got Regina Conway from Slick Deals talking about how to put uh, uh, plans together. I never had any idea what Slick Deals was. I thought it was <laughs> deals that were slick, didn't sound good to me. It turns out it's a place where people go and they like help each other find deals. And so they put together, it's almost like people do with airlines or, or point programs for, for credit card points that they'll say, Hey, if you take this coupon and you take this one and this one and stack those, you can get this thing you were looking for. So Regina Conway on Monday, Wednesday, Bridget Carey from CNET talking about uh, good tech versus junk tech every year. There's both. And then on Friday is our annual board games that teach you about money episode, which is always a good time. I wanted to do this episode because I think it's really important to point out what is dangerous advice. And Dave's episode was just that. Of course, I get it. There may be things that I say on this show and things that Paula and Joe share on their shows that you just flat out disagree with. That is totally understandable because money is so personal. And we're not here to just bash another money show for advice that they give. However, there are certain things about money and math that are just factual across the board. I mean, it would be like if the rest of the world said the ocean is wet, and then this other guy with a very large platform came along and said, no, the ocean is not wet. I believe throwing out a definitive statement like you're going to easily make 12% and you can take out 8%, no problem. It's harmful to you, period. That's why I think it's important to bring a voice to it. I always love talking to Paula and Joe, and I hope you'll jump over to Afford Anything and Stacking Benjamins and be sure to add them to your podcast playlist. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a few friends right now. Yeah, I know we went some places that we don't normally go, but it's important. We need to go there. So I hope that you continue to spread this message so that everyone knows that advice like this that is just black and white is just dangerous. All right. I'll see you back here in a few days, my friend, for a brand new episode. 